The following sermon is part of a series going through the book of Philippians, and it was preached at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. For more sermons, please visit our sermon audio page. It is our hope and prayer that this content is edifying for you. We read this morning from Philippians chapter 4. We continue our series in this epistle of Paul to the Philippians. We do so this morning by considering verses 6 and 7. 6 and 7 of Philippians 4. If you notice, there are verses 4 and 5 that we have not yet considered. We'll come back to those, Lord willing, next Sunday. But today we come to verses 6 and 7. Let's read the whole of chapter 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudias and beseech Synthache that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that he did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The text this morning is verses 6 and 7. Let's reread those verses. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. On the basis of God's word, on the basis of our Lord Jesus Christ's word to his church this morning, I admonish you, be careful for nothing, which means be anxious for nothing, worry not at all. And as you hear that word, may Christ Jesus himself speak to you by his Holy Spirit so that there is a peace upon the waters of your soul, a peace that passeth understanding, a peace that rules in your heart so as to guard you from worry and sin. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, your hearts are under attack. You know that when verse 7 speaks of the peace of God which keeps or guards our minds and hearts, the implication is that, that our hearts are under attack. That's why there is a necessity for keeping and guarding. There are all kinds of enemies that attack you. You know your threefold enemy, the devil. You know the world. You know your sinful nature that assaults you every day and that you have no strength of yourself to stand under those attacks. You know your heart is weak. You know there are attacks against the church of Jesus Christ on every front. You know there is attack of false doctrine. You know there's attack of sin and temptations of sins of all kinds. But there's one specific attack that we need to focus on. One attack that is especially shaking us, even today, this morning. An attack that tempts you to make bad decisions, rash choices. And that attack is the attack of worry itself. It is an anxiety attack, not as a psycholo psychologist may define an anxiety or a panic attack, but a real attack of worry. You hear in the Protestant Reformed churches of accusations. You hear about the act of separation and you worry. Some of you are anxious as you hear and read accusations and you worry, asking yourself, what if the PRC really is apostatizing? What will this do to me, to my children? Some are anxious, worried, because though they may not believe the accusations, they have family members who join in the act of separation, and they worry about what will happen to their loved ones. Some are worried because of changes in the churches, all kinds of changes that are taking place right now, and change is worrisome to us in general. And that's only worry about church matters, is it not? We have so many other things that we worry about that our minds tend to spin off unto. We worry about the government. Often we're so consumed with church matters that we focus on them and then we spin off as we hear in the news of what's taking place in the government. And we worry about those things as well. Corruptions in the government, conspiracies that may be taking place in the powers of our country and world. We worry about the economy. We worry about our finances. We worry about our health and the viruses which attack us. We worry about our children and what they will face in the last days and the persecution that may come upon them. We worry about what other people are thinking of us. We get so focused but all the potential evils. 
And perhaps we're forgetting this enemy, this evil. The enemy of worry itself. Which like a spy, children, think of a spy. Worries like a spy. Which sneaks into the fortresses of our hearts. And wiggles its way among the members of the church militant between the pews, between people, and like a spy whispers, whispers to spread fear among the ranks of the church militant. It's an enemy itself. And today the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is wielded against worry itself. Jesus Christ Himself speaks. Nothing. Worry about nothing. Significantly, Paul and the Philippian church, we can say, had many things to worry about. They were in similar circumstances. Now think about how we are in similar circumstances to what the Philippian church in Paul's day experienced. Paul was in prison in Rome. He faced the very real possibility of the sentence of death. But Paul and the Philippian church were not only tempted to worry about death, but they were tempted to worry about the fact that the church was going to lose, perhaps, a good minister, a very influential minister, what would the churches do without Paul, they asked. They worried. Along with that, Paul warned the Philippians of false teachers. That's what we considered in chapter 3. False teachers were around the church. Judaizer theology and antinomian ideas were around the church. They worried. In the immediate context, we saw how there was division in the church. Remember, Eudias and Syntyche. At the very moment that the people received this letter from Paul, this disunity was still going on in the church of Philippi between Eudias and Syntyche, but probably also between other members of the church that were polarized, that had taken sides with Eudias and Syntyche. There was worry about whether this division was going to continue. The Philippians had financial worries. They had given to Paul for his earthly necessities, but they themselves were poor. They worried about material things. They worried about health. They had sent Epaphroditus to Paul, and remember, Epaphroditus had fallen sick. They worried about his health as well. And amidst all of these occasions for worry, Paul says, Nothing. That's the first word of our text in the original. Nothing. In nothing, be careful or worry. That's the theme. Worry about nothing. First, the prohibition of worry. Second, the displacement of that worry in prayer. And then finally, the peace from God, which He promises to give. The prohibition the displacement, and then the peace. Worry defined is fear. It is a kind of fear which especially distracts our mind from focusing upon the truth of God our Savior. Is a kind of fear that distracts our mind from focusing upon God our Savior. Although we don't like to talk about worry as fear, that's what it is. Sometimes we speak of worry in a good way, and it's not. Anxiety or worry is fear. That feeling of fear enters our heart, affects our emotions. And especially, our text emphasizes, affects our mind. So that our mind loses the stability, our mind loses the focus, not only on what we're doing, but 
on the God that we're supposed to be focused on. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, we find Paul exhorting the church not to fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, he says, but of a sound mind. Fear or worry attacks the sound or the stable mind. There are degrees to it. Sometimes worries enter our hearts and, and it's a shiver. Sometimes worries enter our hearts and it's a tremble. Sometimes worries enter our hearts and it is a shaking of us so that it even affects us physically. The word for worry in our text is translated be careful by the King James, but we need to understand that the word in the original is made up of two words. The verb, be careful there, or worry, anxious, is made up, in, made up of two words. The two words which mean, first, split or divided, and secondly, mind or thinking. Literally, the word here for worry is a split mind. We could even put it this way. Schism in the mind. Schism in the mind. That's what worry is. And this is true to our experience. Each one of us has experienced this ourselves. When worry comes into our hearts, when worry enters our hearts and minds, our minds go in different directions. It tries to go in different directions all at one time. We think of this and that, maybe not even just two directions, but all kinds of directions. It splits our mind, and we cannot focus upon what is at hand. We cannot focus especially on God, our Savior. Now, to illustrate that, the same word here in our text is attributed to Martha. Think of Martha in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus comes to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And as Jesus comes there, he, he teaches them and Mary sits at Jesus' feet. She has that focus of mind to prioritize and to take in what Jesus is teaching her. But Martha, however, we read in Luke 10 verse 40, is cumbered about. She is distracted in her mind about everything that she has to do. And she's, yes, afraid, irrationally so, but afraid that she is and they were not doing enough for Jesus. So much so that she dared to rebuke Jesus. Does thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone, she says, and the same word is used there. Jesus rebukes her. He says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. And that word careful is the same word here in our text. Thou art worried. Thou art split-minded about many things. But one thing is needful, and that Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. She, in contrast to Martha, has a mind focused upon her Savior. That tells us when we know we're worrying, doesn't it? Here's a sign that we're worrying. Even though we might not like to admit it, when it's time to read the Bible, the devotions perhaps at the dinner table, or in the morning or evening, or when it's time to listen to God's Word in church, and we feel our mind going in all sorts of directions. That's an indication of the split mind, the worry that God's Word says, thou shalt not have it, none of it. Jesus speaks of that worry, especially regarding material things, earthly things in Matthew 6. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, same word, don't let your thoughts split for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. All the matters of earthly things. But it's not only material things, of course, that we worry about. Some of you sitting here might respond this morning. I don't worry about those insignificant things. I'm laid back, personality. I worry about important things. 
about death, about what will happen after death, about cancer, about church matters, about what's going on in the Christian schools, what's going to happen to them, about my children and grandchildren. And Paul says, nothing, first word, be careful for nothing. We'll qualify this briefly, briefly because we tend to excuse our worrying with this, but briefly, when Paul forbids worry or anxiety, he does not mean that we should be careless. There is a proper cautiousness, a proper carefulness that we ought to have. In the King James Version, when it gives that old English word translated careful, be careful in verse 6, six that's sometimes mistaken to mean we're not to care at all about anything. That's not what this text is teaching. Careful is the old English word which means to fill up the mind with all sorts of cares. The same idea of the, as the splitting of the mind of all kinds of cares. But Paul does not forbid caution. And that should be obvious from the context. Paul warns about false doctrine, enemies in the church that we must guard against. We must be cautious. We must watch and keep the church from error and sins. He's not saying we must be passive, inactive, apathetic, irresponsible, or lazy. But even as we take heed to warnings and we are faithful in our callings, we must fight worry that so easily creeps into our hearts as we are properly being cautious. That's a real problem that we struggle with in our minds and in our churches. Enemies plant, like that spy, remember children? Like that spy that sneaks into our hearts and into the church. Enemies plant worry, fear, which breeds suspicions, which breeds accusations, which breeds fightings, so that the schism of the mind can lead very quickly into the schism of a body. Worry is sin. Worry is sin. That's clear from this text. The Holy Spirit through Paul says very clearly, be careful for nothing. It's a command. It's in the imperative. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, take no thought, worry not. It's a command of Jesus himself. And so to do the opposite of what Jesus commands and the Spirit commands here in our text is clearly sin. Now, there are other reasons for not worrying. Jesus gives them in Matthew 6. He speaks of worrying as useless. It's a waste of time and energy. Which of you, by taking thought or worrying, can add one cubit unto his stature? Some of you worry about not getting tall enough, children. Not growing as fast as I want to grow. Well, worrying doesn't help you grow, Jesus says. But that's to be applied to anything. Worrying doesn't help the situation. It's useless. Another reason Jesus gives is that worrying is senseless. Often what we worry about doesn't actually come to pass. We worry about the future, the worst case scenarios. We Google symptoms and we find the worst possible explanation for those symptoms and we, we worry about nothing. 
So it's useless, it's, it's senseless, but here the main reason of our text is it's sin. And the specific sin that worry is, is it's unbelief. Worry is unbelief. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that worry is what the Gentiles do, that is the unbelievers do, as they care about things of the earthly kingdom. But you, beloved, are not an unbeliever. So stop acting like one. Worry is unbelief. To worry is to think like that unbeliever, to have our minds go in all sorts of different directions except up. Worry is to think in every other direction except up. It's to forget the sovereign God, to imagine that you are in control of the situation. Worry is this form of pride or self-reliance. So lose focus on the God who governs all things, including the churches, and does all things for our good. Worry is to imagine that since everything is changing, God must be changing. His faithfulness must be changing. It is to forget His promises that He has saved us and our children and will never let us go. It's unbelief. Worry has even led some of you to say, I've heard it, I'm not sure what I believe anymore. Worry is unbelief. Cast all your care upon Him. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. That's the opposite of worry. Why? For He careth for you. He does. Worry itself is sin, and worry leads to all kinds of other sins. I already hinted at that. That's implied in verse 7 too when we, we read, the peace of God shall keep or guard your hearts and minds. That keeping and guarding is not only from worry itself, but from all kinds of other sins that crowd in with worry. When we worry, instead of trust or believe in our God, our minds make rash judgments. When we worry, parents, we've all sensed this, when we, when we start worrying about our job, we worry about our money, we worry about these things in life, we get grumpy and we sin against our children. We worry, when we worry, we worry, we go into the internet and we hold on to anything that, ironically, will increase our worry. Worry evolves into all kinds of sins, suspicions, anger, bitterness, and doubts. They can destroy not only you, but the church. Think of the Midianites, children. We recently studied that in Catechism, the time of the judges in Gideon's time. The Midianites were in their tents, and Gideon and his servant heard in one of the tents the worrying of the Midianites. They had a dream. And because of that dream, they were talking to each other, and they were worrying each other. And that worrying drove them crazy so that as soon as they heard the sound of trumpets and clay pots breaking all those Midianites who had the worry in their hearts woke up they ran in all directions and they attacked one another it's quite an illustration of what worry does. It actually infiltrates an army. It enters, divides, and conquers. It's sin, and it leads to many other sins. Instead of worry, we're called, rather, in our text, to pray. 
Notice the word nothing in contrast to the word everything. In nothing, be careful or worry or be anxious, but rather in everything, pray. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The idea is that everything that you would worry about, everything that you feel your heart and mind desire to worry about and, and mull over in your mind, take everything and make the worrying nothing and pray, take everything you would worry about and rather pray about them. Bring it to God in prayer. Don't just stop worrying, but replace it with prayer. That's the calling of the text. Don't just put off the old man's sin of worry, but put on the new man's work of prayer. Kill off worry in the way of resurrecting prayer. It is the divinely prescribed manner of combating the spy or enemy of worry. This is the example of Scripture. When the Assyrians surrounded King Hezekiah and Rabshakeh, remember, the captain of Sennacherib's army stood outside the walls of Jerusalem and spoke intentionally in the words of the Jewish language so that the people on the walls and in the city would begin to worry. What did Hezekiah do? He took his worries, the worries of God's people, and he entered into the temple and he prayed. When Daniel heard the decree of King Darius that no one should worship any god and pray to any god, lest he be thrown into the lion's den, Daniel prayed, as was his custom. When Nehemiah the cupbearer stood before the king, King Artaxerxes, and the king began to question him. And he felt the worry, the anxiety creep into his heart, not knowing what to say, his mind froze. And Nehemiah, we read, pray to the God of heaven. So in the very moment, beloved, in the very moment that we feel the anxieties creep into our hearts, we're called to pray. Even if we cannot, young people, fold our hands and close our eyes while we're driving, while we're doing something in our life, our hearts are to bow before God in this prayer. Talk to Him as you would a friend. That's the idea of prayer. It's to come into God's presence and to pour out your heart to Him as you would to a friend. That's the significance of the word or the phrase, let your request be made known unto God. That phrase should stand out to you because you should think, well, God already knows what's in my heart. Why do I have to let it be made known unto God and that's a figure of speech meant to catch your attention. It cannot mean, of course, that you must inform God of your requests because God already knows everything that is in your heart. You don't cause Him to know anything. But this is a figure of speech called an anthropomorphism so that you think of telling your friend everything that you're worried about. And that's what you do, don't you? Often you unload and in your very unloading to a friend, it makes you feel better simply by telling them. And God is calling you to come before Him before you talk to a friend. Because this is far better than even unloading to a friend. That you unload, you pour out your heart before God, the supreme friend the God of peace. Men, before you try to figure out how to fix it, as you want to always figure out how to fix it, and you get worried about 
it because you don't know whether you can fix it, pray. Ladies, before you unload to your husbands or to your girlfriends, to God, to God, pray. Children, before you ask your parents for help or think, I can do this by myself, pray. Your mind wants to split. Your human mind wants to divide and worry, to seek all sorts of helps in all sorts of places and all sorts of friends. And God says, no, focus in one direction, first and foremost, and always stay there in that first and one direction, upward to me, to God, your Savior, who is the only one that can help. Let your mind settle there in prayer. Notice the kind of prayer, not only coming to God as a friend, but also with thanksgiving. What a striking way to describe the kind of prayer in the time of worry, isn't it? With thanksgiving. Let's put it emphatically. The Word of God tells you this, this, this morning, worry about nothing. Instead, give thanks about everything. In prayer. This is essential to prayer. In the times of worry, when your mind might feel like, I can't give thanks right now. It's not, a, it's not a relevant time to give thanks. There's someone dying. The church is in danger. Thanks? That's the farthest away from our minds. Exactly, God says it shouldn't be. With thanksgiving, pray. For what, you ask? What do I give thanks for? Well, beloved, you can always thank God for Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. All may change, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His righteousness always covers you. His forgiveness is always for you. His spirit is always with you. His sovereignty is always governing all things for you. Thanksgiving should always be in our hearts. And so God says, prayer, prayer, take, take the chief means of thanks. In the time of worry, and give thanks, especially for the cross of Jesus Christ. Give thanks. And it is as we fill our minds with prayer, it is in the way of prayer with thanksgiving, you see. That faith casts out the unbelief of worry. Is as our minds trust in God in the way of prayer. in the way of thanksgiving that worry is diminished stop trying to combat the anxieties of life with all the offerings of this world The world offers all kinds of things. Drown out your worry, it says, by watching a movie, by playing a video game, by entering a different world. 
by putting on headphones so that the loud music stops the chatter of your mind about all the worries of life, by stimulating your senses and crowding out all the thinking about the thoughts of the, this life, the worries of this life, numb yourself with alcohol, go to the psychologists and therapists who prescribe all kinds of treatments, get lost, man, get lost in your work, the world says, go, go to the extensive powwows with those who you feel you can trust and, and try to solve all the problems there as the offerings of the world, the solutions to your worry that are offered today. And what do you find, beloved? Just more worry. Once the highs and the buzzes and all the talking around goes away, the worries come back with an even greater force. There's one antidote, the prayer of faith with thanksgiving. And the promise is that God gives peace. Verse 7, the peace of God which passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That peace which God promises to give in that way, that orderly manner of prayer through faith, that peace is not peace of the world, of course. And it's not the peace that is of an outward kind, first of all. It's important to point out Paul and the Philippians faced persecution. Paul had to stand before Caesar soon. That wasn't going to change. Outward forms of peace weren't there very much for Paul. The Philippians still would continue to have hardships in the church among members. They were still, there would still be false teachers and errors that attacked the church on every side. They would still have financial hardships. And beloved, Hope Protestant Reformed Church, my brothers and sisters, I love you. And I will do all I can to seek for peace among fellow members in this church and in our denomination. But that's not the peace that God promises to give to you. He may. But the peace in our text is not no trouble at all. It's not no warfare at all. It's not easy family and church relationships. The peace of God that Scripture tells us He will surely give is an internal peace of heart and mind. Of heart and mind, our text says. So that even while persecution rages, even while false teachers speak, even while there is controversy, and even if institutions are destroyed, there is peace within the soul. This peace, first and foremost, is the gospel of peace. It is this gospel that always can settle in our hearts that we who are by nature enemies of God, we who ought to have God in opposition against us because of our sins, we have the Prince of Peace. We belong to Him who has made peace between God and us as people, though we are sinners who don't deserve it. The gospel of peace is that this sovereign God governs 
the persecutions and controversies and afflictions of life all around for our salvation, for our glory, always guaranteeing, don't forget this, beloved, always guaranteeing that he will preserve the people for whom the Prince of Peace has died. I don't care all the threats that come upon us and upon you. Those who believe in Jesus Christ need not fear the threats of destruction as you put your trust in God, in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. He assures us of His grace and His love and His sovereignty as we pray. And that gospel of peace calms our hearts. Even this kind of peace, beloved, when that gospel of peace surrounds our hearts, it's a peace that passeth understanding. That doesn't mean that this peace comes without our mind's understanding. That's not what that phrase means. Obviously, it comes as God guides us with our hearts and minds to think upon His Word, upon His gospel of peace. But the peace that passeth understanding is this. The quality of this peace exceeds our understanding. It is beyond our expectations. It far surpasses the kind of peace we thought we could have in the first place. For example, you've experienced this too. Many of you have. You prayed that in you. You prayed for the peace as you anticipated death. And the Lord gave, He gave you peace to settle your hearts far more than you thought possible. You prayed for peace and controversy. And He gave in your heart far more than you thought possible. And now perhaps as you listen to the sermon, you might be doubting. You might be saying, I, I don't feel peace right now. And even if I pray, I don't think it's possible that I can have this peace within me. And God says, I'm the God of peace. That will give you peace beyond your expectations. That surpasses your understanding. The power of the gospel is that great. Come unto Him in prayer. And rest upon the Prince of Peace. He gives it. So that you may say, It is well. It is well with my soul. So great is this peace, Paul says finally, that it guards. It guards or keeps your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. As that peace of God grounded in the gospel of peace occupies our hearts. The picture is that of peace like an army. An army of God that protects our hearts from the attacks. From attacks of Satan. From attacks of all kinds of sins that would threaten us and the body of Christ. The attack of worry itself. The God of peace uses that peace to guard us. Yes, in our weakness, 
in our times of unbelief, there will be breaches, breaches in the wall of our heart. Worry slips in. But the God of peace always leads us back to Jesus Christ, the citadel, our strong high tower, our refuge. And in Him, as we cling to Him in the way of prayer, He helps us drive out that spy of worry and the many other sins that join that spy to attack us. Focus, beloved. Focus. Let not your mind be split in every direction, this way and that. Focus upon the God who is your God in Jesus Christ, who has made peace with you by his blood. Focus not on parents, family, or church institutions, or ministers. Focus on him alone, who promises to guide you, his church, who says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, who says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, but rather let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Amen. Let's pray. O God of peace, we confess our sin of worry, our sin of unbelief, and many other sins which we have succumbed to as a result of that fear. The enemy of worry has attacked us. Sin has battled against us hard. And we have, in our unbelief, let him in. Forgive us, we pray, through the Prince of Peace. Cover us and assure us that Thou art still our friend. We thank Thee that we may trust Thee. We thank Thee that Thou art the preserver of us, Thy people. We thank Thee that Thou art our Savior. We thank Thee that Thou art our sovereign God who graciously and faithfully does all things for us. And as we pray even today, give us that peace that passeth understanding, that which we do not feel like we can have, but we know we will by the promise of thy word. Pray unto thee, who art able to do far more than we can ask or you can even think, according to the power that thou dost work in us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.